Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I'm your host, Ben Myers of Wolfman Research and Consulting. We are with Steve Cameron of Cameron Stevens Mortgage Capital, who just happens to be the sponsor of this show. Good morning, going, Ben. First recording in the morning, and I felt it was necessary to throw the good morning out there. I know a lot of our listeners like to listen to uh, the podcast first thing in the morning. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe, maybe our next life is going to be morning show hosts. Yes, yes. The Drive Show host with Stephen Ben. With Stephen <laughs> Ben. <laughs> Anyways, we have a fantastic guest this morning. Yeah, our guest is uh, a, a very exciting guest, but I will tell you, we are coming to you once again over the uh, Zoom recording. So we do apologize for any recording errors or any uh, sound glitches along the way, but bear with us uh, as we have Dana Senegama from CMHC joining us. And Dana is a principal market analyst who is responsible for the greater Toronto area. Prior to joining CMHC, Dana worked at the International Monetary Fund and then the corporate head office at the Hudson's Bay Company. Dana has an MA in economics from the University of Sussex and a BA in honors in economics from the University of Kent, both in the United Kingdom. Now living in the GTA, we welcome Dana. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Did I say it right? I pronounced your name right and everything? Yeah, you know what? It's a pass. <laughs> it's a pass. All right. I'll take it. Well, we usually uh, start out uh, kind of getting the, the background of our guest and, and uh, kind of their route to the, uh, um, the Toronto real estate market. And and why don't you start in, you know, in, in university? I mean, how did you, how did you decide that you wanted to be a, an economics major? Well, you know, I think it started uh, from, I suppose most of us get our inspiration or we hope through our parents and uh, my father uh, was an economist. So I kind of had that drilled in me and, you know, I figured, well, I started doing music actually, believe it or not. And I went all the way you know, got all my certification and suddenly decided, you know, when I was 18 years old, you know, this is not really probably going to get me a good living. <laughs> Think about a more serious profession, true to the Asian tradition, you know. What but are you uh, what, 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 what music were you studying? Instrument? Uh, piano. Piano. piano uh, and I played in the orchestra and I, I just, yeah, I went all the way right to the top. But you know, I'm also, you know, my Asian background was not having it or my parents <laughs> were not having it. Where, so where did you grow up playing piano? Uh, well, I grew up all over the world. I was fortunate because uh, my my parents' jobs took us all over. But um, being in East Africa, I really sp spent most of my childhood in East Africa. Wow. Um, and then I moved to England, and yeah, then from there. But, uh, tell us a little yeah, bit. But then living, I became an economist. About living in uh, East Africa—that's that's, yeah. oh, that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was amazing. I mean, you know, I guess it's in hindsight, I used to dread, um, believe it or not, going on all these crazy wildlife trips because my parents, every other weekend, they would just pack us, my brother and I, in the car and we would just drive out. I've lived in Tanzania, in Kenya, in Somalia, believe it or not. Um, and we would just trek out and we would hate it. And, and now as an adult, what I would 
kill to go back and yeah. and do that all over again. It's it's different, you know. Perspective is always uh, very different when you're a kid versus when you're an adult. So yeah, it was great in hindsight. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Interesting. And I I guess I'm, I mean I'm so interested in housing markets. How was that? You know, what where did you live? And were you were you right in the city when you were in Africa versus you know uh, the UK? Yeah, it was always, it has always been in cities. Um, um, and yeah, so, um, you know, housing, it's, it was just, I bumped into by accident. I started as an economist looking, you know, more in terms of macroeconomics. Um, but it just so happened that, you know, I've been with CMHC now for over 10 years. So, um, you know, I, and I, I love what I do. It's, it's, it's a great um, deal to be in. You're in, in housing then, so you know this. Uh, um, so yeah, so I've been in there and, and, and GTA, I think is, it's obviously, you know, I, I'm biased, but it's the best city in Canada, but, and, um, there's so much in housing to learn and I'm constantly learning despite having done this for a while. Um, and yeah. Okay. So how, how did you end up in Canada? That's, that. I guess that's the question from. Oh, that's, that's from... The, now getting to the personal, um, aspect. <laughs> so I got married. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> and that brought me to uh to Canada. So um yeah, my husband is Canadian, so uh that's how I ended up here. So when you were when you were living abroad and studying in the UK, did you ever even have Canada on your radar as far as a destination no, for me and never. I <laughs> totally not. I bumped into my husband uh through a good friend of mine and we were introduced and you know we became friends or whatever and yeah it just so happened that you know what <laughs> here we are that's awesome. it was easier for me to make the move versus someone else because i've lived in so many parts of the world so for sure so uh, yeah let me ask you a quick question i mean you, you you mentioned the gta and now you live here and uh you, you said it's the best country in canada or sorry the best city in canada i apologize um but you did you did you have lived some some serious years in london and just outside of london how does how do you compare the GTA to London and um, sort of the living experience in the GTA versus London? Um, it was a very, you know, it's two different stages of my life. So I think, um, you know, when I grew up in London, I was a lot like younger and, you know, at university, childhood schooling. Um, so I, I guess I lived the quintessential student life or, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's a lot more, um, is it just very different but it's, it's very cosmopolitan i mean london is a great city um but you know canada is it, it, it's a lot more vast and expansive whereas london tends to be a lot more contained how can i put it um you know everything is more dense you mm -hmm. get around about you either cycle you walk or you take public transit whereas you move to a city like toronto um you tend to drive more Sure. Um, we have transit, uh, but you know the, the sheer distance and the the size of the city. I think that's what shocks, at least for an outsider, when you come from a very dense urban setting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're fortunate that way. Uh, but just very two very different places. And and we can get into we'll get into to to values more. But obviously, there's uh, the cost of a flat, either for rent or to purchase in London, is probably top five percent in the world or top five cities in the world the gta is growing but we haven't hit numbers anywhere even close to that um how would you how would you compare the two 
sort of the markets in terms of price point? Well, I think the, the, the biggest distinction for me was the fact that, um, you know, when you live in Europe, renting is, is pretty much the norm. Um, you know, you would buy, but, you know, that wasn't something that, how can I put it, you don't aspire to it. Um, whereas I think in, in Canada, that almost seems like the next step, you know, you graduate, you get a job and you buy a house. And that wasn't so much the, the, the plan, so to speak, when you lived in a, in a city like London. And I think it's just because of the cost hmm. involved, um, and renting just seems, and I think the, the type of supply that's out there in terms of renting in a city like London, um, does exceed, um, compared to what we have in Toronto. Interesting. Interesting. So you, so you were, so you did your, your master's degree near Brighton. I, my, my grandmother's sister lived in Brighton. So I have been, right? <laughs> I've been to Brighton beach. So I, and gone out on the, the big pier. So I, I have a little bit of knowledge of, uh, of where you, uh, did your, uh, did your master's degree. So it's so, cold so and no, it rains all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so why no PhD? Didn't you want to be a doctor and, and do another couple years of school? <laughs> you know, I, okay, a confession, I did start it. Um, um, and that's, uh, yeah, but I, I dropped it because <laughs> this is terrible. I shouldn't be saying it on a podcast, but I dropped it because I, I ended up getting married and I was like, you know what? I don't feel like doing this anymore. I did start it. Uh, true confession. Um, I did do it on trade. International trade was my subject. Um, but yeah, I never completed it. Uh, no regrets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had big plans to do a master's and maybe a PhD and then just life got in the way and, and, and there you go. That's, so. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. So, 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 so your first job at a university was the, uh, working for the IMF. Sounds interesting. Yes, more or less. Yeah. I mean, I did the, you know, research work here and there, but yeah, that was like my first proper job, so to speak. Nice. Um, um, and, um, yeah, it was amazing. And, and, you know, I would have probably continued there had it again, life got in the way and then, you know, other things happen and you make a choice. Um, so yeah, that was amazing. That was looking uh, primarily at South Asia and particularly uh, in Sri Lanka. That's my background. So um, in terms of my ethnicity, uh, but that was amazing. Um, as you can imagine, it's a large organization and uh, you know, I was involved in very, um, very um, important issues and highly political um, issues with the government, et cetera, as you would expect from a large organization like that. Uh, but yeah, life got in the way. <laughs> and I moved to Canada. <laughs> yeah, moved to Canada. <laughs> well, hopefully it's not too cold here for you if you're. Uh, no, used I've been to here long in. enough now that I've adjusted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's and funny. Then, so. And then you went off to the Hudson's Bay Company, correct? Yes, correct. That was actually my first job in Canada. I, I assume um, so. Yeah. So yeah, how, that yeah. quite the transition. That's a, that's a very yeah, Canadian, you know what? It's a very Canadian company it's, to work. I know. What a, what, a, what a way to step into it. <laughs> as as much as you would, yeah. You know what? It was the first job. I I just applied when I, I landed here. I was like, you know what? Let me just scout out to just what was there, and then it, it just landed. It, came to, I guess I was fortunate. Um, and then, yeah, I was there. It wasn't necessarily the field that I wanted to do right away. 
Um, but I loved working downtown. I was at the head office on Bay Street and, um, you know, it was, it's a great place to be, as you would know if you're living in the city, right? Uh, what were you the doing there? Things. Um, I was in the corporate costing department, uh, really in charge of looking at the imports um, and looking at the pricing uh, for products that the Bay Zellers those days and home outfitters um, would put out. So this is off topic, but I mean, if you had to make a prediction on the viability and success of those companies going forward post-COVID, <laughs> where, where are they going to fall? I, I'm not even going to, I can't go there. No, I, that's just beyond <laughs> yeah, beyond I mean, me listen. Right there's, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of great retailers who um, probably aren't going to survive this, <laughs> and I think there's been some predictions that uh, Hudson's Bay has had a, and this is just anecdotal from a third party with really no background evidence other than just some whatever you read in the paper, but just you know maybe a, a weaker balance sheet historically and going into this being vulnerable. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they survive. It is a great Canadian company, but there are some great retailers that obviously in the U.S. that haven't made it. J. Crew, J.C. Penney, although recently filed for um, bankruptcy, there's there's some other ones. Too, I think so. the, the 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 good thing about the Bay is they own a lot of real estate, and it brings us back to this whole conversation on real estate. Mm. They do own a lot of the the, the premises, and I mm. think that's going to be a lot different from some of the bigger retailers um, out there. I'd like Mar I'd like Ben Myers after this episode to do a uh, market study report on the real estate. I was going to say, we should, call me. We should, we should uh, look at redeveloping some of these sites. Uh, <laughs> just know, just the know. bay, just the bay between Bay Young, uh, Queen, and what is it, Adelaide or Richmond? <laughs> what do you think that site's worth, Ben? Oh my God! Yeah, two hundred fifty dollars per buildable square foot. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> really going on out on a limb on that one. <laughs> So, so CMHC, you moved on to the, the, the great Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. So how did that come about? Well, again, you know, it just so happened that there was a job out there and um, it seemed interesting. Um, and yeah, I applied and I was fortunate to get it. And here I am. Here you are t 10 years later. So now... Yeah, more um, than 10 years. Yeah. Well, I gotta, why don't we do something just really quickly because... Um, our listener base is very vast and, and uh, different from all different walks of life. Uh, as you may have heard, uh, I have about 600 followers on Twitter now, not a big deal, but Ben though has about 6,000. <laughs> and and, and why, don't, why don't you give us just a little bit of, um, you know, a, an introduction to CMHC, you know, what the purpose of the CMHC does for those who aren't maybe totally um, in tune with, with this industry and the market and, and your position or your role there as well. Sure. So um, CMHC is the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, which is the federal, um, which is a federal crime corporation um, and it's the national housing agency. Um, really it was formed at the very beginning uh, to house war veterans. Uh, um, and, you know, it's evolved since then. Uh, our, are, you know, we started out or we still are pretty much um, in the mortgage insurance business. Um, so as you know, in Canada, um, you if you don't have 20% uh, of a down payment for a house, you do require mortgage insurance and that's where we come in. Uh, we are one of the key uh, mortgage insurance. There are other private sector um, entities out there uh, like Genworth um, and um, at the same time, we are also heavily involved in um, 
affordable housing in all aspects from the provision to policy, uh, et cetera. And our goal by the year 2030 is to, um, you know, have Canadians in a home that they need or housing Canadians really um, based on a needs basis uh, by 2030. Um, and so we're involved in lot, as, as much as we're involved in the mortgage insurance aspect, we're also involved in um, looking at the whole affordability piece from the entire continuum um, in the, the housing um, continuum from homelessness to home ownership and, and working in different aspects along that. Wow. That's, that's deep. So, so where in, in the, uh, in the industry do you fall? What's your, so my role is the, um, the analysis or the economic analysis of the housing market. I'm specifically, um, accountable for looking into the GTA and also Ontario, looking at the market dynamics, providing the analysis for the corporation, but also for the general public. Um, we have a, a, a surveys unit that does um, monthly housing starts and completion surveys. We have our surveys group that do the rental market survey and we produce a report um, annually for all centers, large centers across Canada. Um, we do a lot of reports. We, uh, we do a lot of analysis, obviously. Um, we speak to the media. We, uh, you know, we provide forecasts and essentially we are a... Um, we like, or I like to say that we are the housing authority um, in Canada. Uh, but, you know, our, our role is to, to educate the public and provide the best um, information that we can so that, uh, you know, Canadians can make informed decisions about their housing needs. So how big is your team? Like how many uh, economists do you have working? Do you have, you know, recent undergrads? Like what, what's your, what's your GTA team? Um, the GTA team, we have about, um, well, I would say it's the Ontario team with, of course, a focus on the GTA. We have about um, 10 of us. Um, but, you know, across the country, our group is, um, I think, over 100 um, because we do look at uh, different aspects, different centers across the country. Um, and, and it ranges, you know, we have from undergrads to PhDs. So, um, and with different skill sets, we have those that focus primarily on the econometric side, uh, on the modeling side that we have more of the macroeconomists. Uh, we have some of those that focus primarily on the research aspect. Um, and then there are those that, you know, do a combination of all of that. Um, so it's a good mix. Um, as you know, you know, there are so many aspects to economic analysis. It's just not one area, but we do have the specialized specialization required. Um, and the, the education that that's required for that in the skill set. As, as a as a as a lender myself, uh, being in the lending business, how uh, I'm curious as to how involved you are in the lending programs that CMHC has, both from a single family residential standpoint, which would mostly be just you know backing the insured mortgages, but also from um, you know CMHC is huge in the in the rental apartment business, uh, and more, most recently. Uh, in the rental apartment construction business. Um, do you have any uh, exposure to, to those groups or do you advise them or are you involved with, with the lending at all? Well, our role, you know, like I said, in terms of the analysis and the assessments that we provide for markets does get factored into our assessment criteria for um, underwriting as well. 
Um, so as much as we provide this information to the public, we do provide this as a function for internally to assess the market. And based on our assessment, um, then the underwriting guidelines and you know processes are adapted. You know, so for instance, if we feel we have the housing market assessment framework, uh, which looks at market conditions across Canada. So for instance, if this is a period in in Toronto, we would say it's um, overvalued. That does get factored into the assessment um, within the underwriting uh, group, um, and of course, you know, from the multiple underwriting perspective for rental properties, et cetera. We do provide, um, for instance, if it's a large scale project, we would provide individual assessment uh, for that project, uh, pro uh, the project and the feasibility of it for that particular area. Uh, but that would be on a case by case basis, depending on just the nature of the, the So occasionally someone might come to you from the underwriting team and say, hey, we're looking at five, six, eight Finch Avenue and it's 1100 units. Is this, does this rental revenue yeah. make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yes, okay. we would um, do a feasibility or economic feasibility. Yeah, market. Feasibility. So it's almost like the underwriters have a, their own internal uh, market analysts. Oh yeah, yeah. No, for any any large scale, be it you know retirement home or rental properties, that that function, that's something that we would undertake. I got it. Okay, yeah, interesting. And so what, um, obviously, I, you know, when I ran Urbanation, I would give some presentations for you guys and you guys subscribe to, uh, to the data. What other, you know, information are you generally looking at to, to do these types of assessments? Well, I mean, our, our, you know, we do have, uh, in terms of our modeling and our assessments, we rely on, of course, CREA data, um, which we get. Um, and of course, that's Canada. We have our internal data um, through our own surveys. We do use some urbanation data, but th that's very particular to the GTA. That's not really factored into our modeling, but it's for us to make note of. Um, we use Altus, um, again, for different centers across the country. But um, in terms of our macro models, uh, our primary sources tend to be um, SAS Canada, Bank of Canada, um, um, and um, CREA. Interesting. And, and, and do you have it, uh, access to the, the mortgage book? Do they allow you to look at what's, what's happening in, with the uh, insured portfolio? Internally, yes, but that's not something we can, uh, you know, I can't really discuss. Talk about what's, I mean, my, yeah. I guess, you know, I've, I've talked about at length where, you know, the economists at all the major banks, they'll come out and they'll do analysis, but they'll do analysis on publicly available information on, on, on the same thing on StatsCan, on Treb data, on CREA data, on any of the, the indexes that, that, that put out Brookfield and, and, uh, and, and TerraNet and all that stuff. Yet they have this ginormous internal book yeah. of information that they could use on their own mortgage clients yeah. and start looking at things on an apples to apples basis, right? You, yeah. It's hard to look at the average debt and the average price mm -hmm. and the average this and, and look at them when they're not, when they don't, you know, they don't align, right? When you look at right. the exactly. average income in the industry, mm -hmm. yet only 60% of people own. So how can you look at the average income and the average price when they're not the same people that are, that are buying, right? So mm -hmm. That's yeah. always been my pet peeve is they're sitting on this massive amounts of information and not doing an analysis on. I know CMHC has started to do some analysis on their 
their mortgage book and the defaults yes. and, and, and I mean, yeah. I think that's fantastic. I've been, you know, I've been eating that stuff up whenever you released it and, and you're doing more studies on foreign mortgage ownership. credit and yeah, foreign ownership and different, we're, yeah. we're trying, you know, it's, 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 it's taken a while for us to, you know, but there's so many hurdles because I think one of the challenges we face when as a, as a federal um, crown corporation, we can't just do it for one center. So you may find that we have enough data for, uh, Toronto, but you know we want to be able to expand that across the country, and sometimes we don't always have the data, um, or it's difficult to come by, and so it takes a little longer than you know one would normally hope that we would get it across. So that always we run into challenges there, um, yeah. but we are you know I think we've come a long way from where we were in terms of what we release and the kind of information we make available. And one instance is our credit report, like we do with that on a, on a quarterly basis as well. Um, and um, so in time to come, hopefully we'll make more information available and more That's data. That's great. I guess okay. the one thing I really want to see is you have absorbed singles and semis prices, but you don't have any absorbed condo prices. So we need, need that to, is, is that something that you guys may potentially be releasing? For sure. I mean, I mean, that's something we're looking into, you know, price per square foot. Um, and like I said, again, the challenge is to, to be able to make this across the country. So we may have more success in Toronto, may not be the same um, in another city, but we want to make it uniform. And, and so till we can kind of, you know, come up with some sort of a plan that we can somehow get the reach out there. Um, till then it's, it, I don't think it's going to happen just for one city. Yeah. Yeah. That's a concern. Uh -huh. so can we just, so, so uh, tell, let's, let's jump into, uh, some of the recent reporting that you guys have done and some of the recent, uh, articles that have been published in the paper. You know, I work in the, uh, like I mentioned in the lending business. So we do analysis every single day internally on, stressing uh, condo prices, uh, rental rates, looking at, you know, what's going to happen post COVID. Uh, you know, if we're doing underwriting now and Ben gives me a report and says the current, you know, market value is X per foot or X per lot or X per unit. Um, you know, what's, what is that going to look like when the unit is complete in 18 months or 24 months, or in some cases 36 plus, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of reports out by CMHC calling for, various uh predictions and declining mar and uh and unit prices anywhere i've seen from reports eight percent nine percent up to 12 plus all the way up in some cases i think i saw or, or anecdotally heard one at 18 percent just curious you know what what's your prediction here where are things going what are, what do you uh what do you what do you on behalf of cmhc uh predicting for the next 24 12 to 24 months yeah, so that's a great question, and I know that you know Twitter has been quite vocal about our forecast. So, you know, <laughs> just as a, um, at the outset, I just want to say this number that's been thrown out there. You know, the the eight to eighteen percent or nine to eighteen percent for Canada. Um, I think where the the error lies in the reporting is that um, that number is really looking at about an 18 to 24 um, uh, month horizon and that was the peak to trust um, number for price growth right or the lack of rather or the price decline that was thrown out and that spans over 24 months so to speak in Canada um, and is not an annual number 
and you know there are two ranges um, the way we do forecasting is a scenario based uh, obviously the most pessimistic being uh, a negative 18 percent uh, for toronto uh, similarly uh, we are forecasting the peak to truck decline from um, minus 7% um, to minus um, 18%. So there is a, a vast um, range. But if you take the annual chain, it's far more muted. And the annual change is, in fact, for 20, um, between 2020 and 2021, it's only about 2%. And an increase in two percent in the price, an the average house price. Yeah, so, but so, the the quarterly, the the variation, the peak to truck, which spans about eighteen months, it's about minus seven. And I'm just trying to pull the numbers out: minus seven to um, minus um, eighteen percent uh, for the GTA. So I think that's really where the the. So so just I guess so just just to explain it because it is complicated, and I understand mm -hmm. what you're trying to say, but. You know, so you're 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 predicting on the short term for prices to hold, but long term, 24 months, that there will be a decline. But that point in time is not necessarily defined. Is that? Am I hearing that? Well, correctly? it's no. Um, so really, for for Toronto, the you know the prices are there's going to be a, a period where prices are going to come down, particularly into next year, the first two quarters. Um, you know, prices are the most stickiest or the, the last thing to react, right? right? I think a lot of what's, um, what we're hearing in the media right now, you know, when the, the, the resale numbers come out, um, you know, I always caution people that we're only looking at maybe about a quarter of the market that's active in terms of the volumes out there. I think in May was maybe just under half. Um, and we're making all these assumptions based on that saying, well, the market is great, you know, prices are skyrocketing, they're bidding wars, and maybe there is. Um, but it's inaccurate to make that assumption based on a very small proportion of the market that's active right now. For when you all, say proportion of the market, do you mean like, like specific geographical nodes or do you mean like across the full GTA? Just by volume, just by, yeah, across the GTA by volume. I'm just looking at the volumes, right? right okay. Um, it's, it's so, for instance, the May volumes are under half of what would be on a typical May right. of any given year, right? And, and I think in April, it was only about a quarter. Right. Um, and, and yes, you know, we, we saw sustained price growth or, you know, prices staying level. Um, but it's not enough to make these um, assumptions saying, well, this is not really, you know, I think the, our concern, you know, we know that there's unemployment and there's going to be more unemployment um, come, you know, a few months into it. Um, I think our, our biggest, um, uh, the risk to these forecasts is the uncertainty associated with the pandemic. I don't think anybody really knows how this is going to end. Um, we don't even know if there's going to be a second wave. Listen, I don't, I, don't envy your, I don't envy your position. You know, first of all, any economic downturn, you know, is always hard to predict when it's going to end or what's going to trigger the end of it. And then you add in a deadly virus that most of the world is taking seriously, but our neighbors are not taking seriously and are still seeing huge numbers. And yeah. you know that, you know, because we are, we are, we are the small younger brother, younger sister of, mm -hmm. of the U.S. Anything that happens there, you know, we're going to be affected by. I just, you know, I, I, I don't envy your position trying to put a report out saying this is the future of, of housing prices. Like, it's so hard to predict. You talked about unemployment, unemployment. And, and, you know, I think the market's being 
artificially propped up by government spending, right? So like when exactly. is that going exactly. How is that going to affect employment? Uh-huh. You know, then we can start talking about immigration and you factor in those three things plus a few other unknowns. I wouldn't want to be on, on record putting a, you know, it'd be, I don't want to be on record saying market's going to do X or Y. Like it, it's a tough, well, problem, you know, I, so. I, I think, you know, I, I, but I think we need to do that as well because, you know, our role is to give you the best information we can based on the information that we have at this For particular sure. time. And based on what we know and the, the data that we have, and, uh, you know, we do expect things to slow down. I mean, you know, it's, it, I, I can't understand when people come out and say, well, things are going to just continue as they will. We have so many people out of work and we're likely to have more people out of work. And that's the fundamental driver of housing 100%. demand is employment, right? 100%. We can talk about immigration, but immigrants don't right away land in Canada and buy, not the majority anyway, they rent. So the rental market, that's a different piece in, in all of this. Well, they don't land right away and get a job either. They land in- Well, that, that, well that, that's what I was getting to. So particularly now, even if we were to get a whole, um, you know, bunch of immigrants landing here, they're not. It's not going to be easy for them to enter the job market because they're currently, you know, high unemployment rate. Even for the people that are already here, yeah. so you're trying to compete with them. That's going to delay their entry into home ownership. So there are so many um, knock-on effects of this that you know that that isn't getting played. And I think we all have to kind of understand like things aren't things will seem a little worse off for a while before it gets better yeah well, um, let, let me and- let me let me read your numbers just so that that mm-hmm. there's some context to them so i i pulled them out of your fort your your out from um yeah. today so so in the gta the average price in 2019 was approximately eight hundred and twenty thousand. so your okay. forecast for 2020 was anywhere from eight hundred and twenty five thousand to eight hundred and seventy thousand. so that would be an increase of uh, 1% to 6%. So that's kind of your, your range for 2020. But for 2021, the range was 730, uh, essentially 739 to 840. So, so we're looking at a potential decline of, if you just took the 825 to the 739, so you've got a potential decline of up to 12% in, in 2021. So I guess okay. people are kind of curious what you think that the factor that's not affecting this you know the 2020 market but will affect 2021 are, are, are we are we thinking that they have the deferral cliff right where where you know the you know all the mortgage deferrals end do we think it's the um um you know the the the, the impacts of, of 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 less um you know stimulus from the government you know the CERB runs out some of these commercial um, uh, prop ups uh, and is is are those two of the bigger factors that go into your um, your forecast? Yeah, um, you know we don't actually like we didn't in our modeling we didn't um, you know we didn't have an input in terms of the fiscal stimulus, but they all kind of get incorporated into the whole income you know disposable income or employment as as variables into our model, but. Um, Certainly there are factors, but you know, the ultimately what's going to slow price growth down is the increase in supply in the market that's going to ensue as a result of what we're seeing. And I think we already saw, and you're familiar with this, Ben, um, you know, particularly in the, the, the rent of the short-term rental market um, and particularly in the condo market, um, you know, with some of the regulatory changes that Ontario put into effect for short-term rentals. I think in certain places like Vaughan and 
um, and in, in the Peel region and now in city of Toronto, which came into effect, you know, the, the principal residents now have to be confined to your primary um, resident. Um, that resulted in more and more listings or um, particularly those um, short-term rental investors listing their properties up for sale from last year onwards. So this trend has been continuing. We are going to see a lot, some more of those properties being listed for sale in the market over the next coming month. Compounded to that fact, you know, the, the decline in, in, you know, obviously employment is a key factor, but also the declining in, in tourism numbers, that's going to have an impact on short-term rentals. So we will find more and more of those investors listing those properties on for sale. We're going to see an increase in supply. Added to that, we have currently about 54,000 condo apartments under construction. Over the next two years, those units are going to be complete, completed. So you're going to have about 25,000 odd numbers coming on every year for the next two years. Um, and if we don't have the, the employment numbers or the, the income growth, um, that's going to impact those units. And we are also going to see a um, softening demand in the rental market uh, for a lot of the reasons that I explained before. Um, that's also going to result in, you know, uh, the investor held rental properties. Um, that's going to take a hit. Um, so we may see some of those units being listed for sale. Um, so it's a, and, and we're going to see overall, you know, listings increase. So in terms of the, you know, our forecasts are based on average house prices. Um, really the, the biggest hit will be into the condo market or condo house prices. Um, I, the low rise, um, because the supply story has been, you know, supply has been very, very tight in this market, you know, only in the last couple of months or so, kind of eased up slightly, but that's going to make it a little less um, severe in terms of the price shock. And we're going to see more of it being reflected in the condo market. But when you group that together, that is going to impact the average house price. So that's why our forecast is calling for um, more um, declines into next year versus this year. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, we're, we're kind of working on a, on a four-year lag between pre-construction sales and, and, and occupancies. And 2016 right. was a was a record year at the time yep. for new condo sales in the GTA or uh, with 29,000. And then, uh, 2017 was, uh, you know, by far the greatest year, yeah. 35, 36,000 pre, you know, uh, sales of, of new condos. So there, a lot of those went in under construction in 2017 and 2018. So we'll start to see that, you know, huge wave of completions happen in 2021. And then add on top of that, the increase in rental apartment construction that we've that yeah. we've seen over the last few years. So there's, there's definitely going to be a lot of supply and 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 uh, yeah, a lot of that supply was earmarked for Airbnb. There were investors buying with the sole uh, idea of listing them on Airbnb. And if there's less tourism, there's less of the you know the film industry that part time work happening uh, in the GTA. So that that was where a lot of those 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 units were being used for so yeah will be interesting to see you know just you know looking at my the information that i analyzed from rentals.ca a lot of the biggest declines in rental rates are happening 
in the buildings that had a lot of um, of Airbnb activity, the ones that are right downtown, you know, the Massey Tower, 300 Front, um, you know, Maple Leaf Square, Ice Condos, the stuff that really attractive to uh, people from out of town. So, so that obviously is a is a pretty big concern, and 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 once you impact one part of the uh, the latter, it impacts the rest of it because there's, you know, there's resale agents and some of them even reached out to me with questions saying, Hey, you know, I represent a lot of single family homes and we're seeing bidding wars right now. So how can you expect the prices to go down? But if they're not, you know, maybe uh, selling a lot of entry level condominiums, then maybe they're not seeing the full, the full picture. And the, the, the effect cascades down always. Yeah. It just takes a little longer. Interesting. I do have a question. I was I was going through some of your old quotes and uh, mm -hmm. some of your old media quotes, and I saw that in uh, I guess in early 2017 they asked you if it was a bubble, and you said you weren't quite sure it was a bubble. Have you have you changed your mindset on what was happening in in, in 2017, and and do you think the measures that were put in from the government at that time were uh, were valid? Yeah, I mean it, it was put in. Um, it was put in there. Uh, and the, the the consequences were intentional. Um, I think it started with the um, with the foreign buyer tax, of course, and that was more of a provincial um, tool that was used for Ontario. And then we had all those subsequent changes through OSFI, et cetera. Um, and I think you know those were the intended consequences. And uh, the market up to then, I think it was just uh, you know it was just on a, on a roller coaster, really. Um, um, and, and I think it, 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 it had the necessary effect and we are seeing that. Uh, but having said, of course, all of that, I think leading up to the pandemic, I think we were back, back, uh, we were getting there <laughs> till about uh, the first week of March where things were picking up and uh, now, of course, things have been halted. Yeah, we were, it was starting to get too hot. I was getting worried about yeah. the, the resale market again with... 12, 13% year over year growth, but certainly nothing like, you know, in, in December of 2016, the average price in the GTA was 730. And in April of 2017, it was 820. Right? Yeah. Just yeah. unbelievable growth in a, yeah. in, a, in a matter of years. And, uh, and, you know, I was advising the people I was working with at the time to be really careful, right? And I went on, I went on a panel in, I think, in April of 2017 and said, be really careful buying land right now. And some of the other people on the panel laughed at me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know that I'm, uh, I'm known for being very bullish. So if I'm telling you that it's a bad time right now to be buying land, it has to be uh, something on the, uh, on the horizon. But I, I never get credit when I am bullish. I only only get credit when I when I'm uh, uh, you only get criticized when I'm wrong. And I'm sure the same thing with with oh with always. Job, so. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you ever get any crazy? Send you any emails saying you know that was a bad forecast? <laughs> oh, just read Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Social I, media. Social media. Yeah. I get it on social media. So. Yeah. I, I guess yeah. the next question would be, um, you know, CMHC has made some changes to their mortgage insurance with the, you know, changes in the minimum credit score, GDS, TDS changes, no borrowing of, uh, of down payments. Why, why do you think that decision was made now as opposed to, you know, earlier in the year when, when prices were starting to really ramp up? Well, I you know I can't comment um, 
on that in the sense that you know that's beyond the scope of what what I do um but um you know it's it, it just as a as an observation you know it, it is really to safeguard you know ultimately we are accountable to Canadians um and often in a financial crisis or an economic crisis those in the margins are the worst affected um and this is really to safeguard um and and take the necessary measures to safeguard that and to ensure that we're not putting them in a, in a, in a worse off position um, to begin with. So by, you know, increasing their qualification criteria, increasing the, 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 the credit scores required and also the down payment in terms of having that to be in terms of equity versus borrowing, um, those are all just mechanisms put in place to mitigate some of the risks that we could potentially or see in the next little while. Yeah, and were you surprised that uh, Genworth in Canada the guarantee didn't follow with with the changes that you your team made? You know what? I, I, I we can't speak for them, right? Um, we can only speak for for what we do, and and really it's it's their prerogative um, as a company to do what's necessary for them. So yeah, that's their prerogative. Yeah, and so you are you are you factoring in these? Um, you know, mortgage rule changes into your forecast? Is that something that you're saying, okay, well, we think that's going to reduce mortgage credit in the, the industry and reduce buying power? Not for the, no, not for this forecast because these forecasts were done before the, the policy announcement. Okay. Um, but of course, going forward, whenever we do the next set of forecasts, a lot of these will take, be taken into consideration, but not for this particular exercise. Okay. Interesting. I have a question for you about um, Canada as a whole. So obviously, I know you you specialize or focus primarily here in the GTA. Um, but when CMHC puts out uh, reports about housing, is it is it generally looking at uh, you know Canada as a whole, or is it looking at? The, I mean, if you look at Toronto, for example, I mean, the core of Toronto, if you'd say within ten kilometer drive from from Union Station, is a much different market than maybe uh, you know anywhere outside of the GTA, the 905s, and then the further outside you get to the 905s into the 519s, you know, it's, it is a much different market. Um, do you find that there's some insulation within, within the, the core versus, you know, the smaller, more rural areas? And, and do you provide market reports based on, you know, where the density is versus, you know, and, and the jobs are, where the income is versus, you know, some of the smaller secondary markets? Well, um, right now our reports are based on CMA levels, so the census metropolitan area. Um, I think our, 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 we would love to do it, I think, for every sector, every, you know, every city, every uh, county, if we could. Um, but the biggest drawback that we have is the availability of data and data collection. So a um, lot of what we do because of that, it has to be based on a metropolitan area. Uh, in terms of our starts and completion, it does get into a lower level in terms of the, the area. So I think it goes down to the, you know, StatScan has these different levels, the CMA, the CA, um, this, which is the census agglomeration um, at that level. So it, you, you can find that information. If you go to our website, we have a, um, a portal where you can kind of plug in and see what you would find. Um, based on that specific geography. Um, but it does depend on certain areas. But in terms of the reports that we put out, unfortunately, due to the data limitation and just the, the ability to access a lot of that data, 
it's at the CMA level. And what about what about price points? Um, <clears throat> obviously, we talked earlier on, or you you had mentioned, or maybe Ben mentioned that yeah, the 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 resale market is in low rise right now is pretty hot. There's a lot of things that are going multiple offers. Things are turning over quick now. There's not as much supply, uh, supply as there was a year ago in, in May or April. But what about you know? Look, do you guys look at okay? You know, the market from five hundred thousand dollars to one point one million, you know, may be affected in one way versus the market from, you know, the two point five two million and up market. Do you guys ever compare the two segments as as far as end price points? Because I think we yeah say that you know. It, so some markets or some price points or some housing types are going to be much more affected than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in terms of the published forecast, it's, a, it's an average price, right? But for our analysis, for sure, we um, separate it out. We look at different price um, segments. Um, for instance, I think right now we are seeing some sort of a, a shift towards um, lower price sales. Um, by and large, especially in the last couple of months, there have been more sales that have occurred in the lower price ranges uh, versus in the higher price ranges. So that's something we track uh, for our analysis. But in terms of a forecast, no, it's just based on an average price. What about interest rates? I mean, we have all-time low interest rates right now. Uh, we, have, we have a new head of the, of the, of the federal banking system. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to predict negative interest rates, but who knows if that's where this is going. I hope not. I mean, so that, so on that basis, though, affordability is, is better now than it's ever been based on just straight borrowing rates. Um, do, you, do you believe that's artificially propping up the market? I do personally. I think, you know, anytime there's a low interest rate world, we're going to see people reaching maybe a little bit more than they might have at, at uh, when prime was 4% versus when it's, you know, sub three now, you guys, I'm, I'm certainly, straight. yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, I know it doesn't make your job easy. No, it doesn't. And I, you know, it's rightly so, like you said, I think if you have a steady job and you have a steady stream of income and then you see uh, interest rates at this rock bottom rate, why not make use of it? And then and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think the, the bigger story though is yes, for sure, interest rates can be at rock bottom levels, but you, all have, you also have to make sure that you have income coming in. And so the fundamental driver um, going forward will be your disposable income. Um, and just how much of that will you have? And we factor that into our models. And that's going to create the biggest dent in terms of housing demand, just where your personal disposable income uh, would be going forward uh, post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that's closely tied, obviously, to the employment story. Right. I did want to ask you a, a quick question about a report that you guys did maybe a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, with this COVID-19, there's, you know, people are reassessing where they want to live and, and where they want to move. And, you know, some people talking about exodus of the GTA and some people talking about, you know, I want to move downtown because I don't want to take transit anymore. I want to be able to walk to work. But, uh, um, and obviously there was a lot of outbreaks uh, of, uh, of COVID-19 and, and seniors homes and, uh, and um, you know, assisted living. You did a report a couple of years ago on, on seniors staying in their homes. Yes. Maybe you can just maybe give me a quick, you know, <laughs> executive summary on, on that report and, and how you think that might impact the market. 
Well, I, you know, I, I can't remember exact details, but I do know that we did find that uh, more seniors are staying put for what we call the aging in place. And we're seeing that that's been a trend um, really pretty much across Canada. And I think it's as much as it's the comfort level, it's also to do with affordability. Because if you've had, if you bought your home 40 years ago, um, the chances are you're never going, you know, you sell that and you're going to have to pay maybe 20 times of that to buy a new home. It just makes financial sense to stay where you're at and age in place. Um, and um, I don't think that's going to change. I mean, you know, the, the house prices, even with a price decline in terms of price levels, if you bought your house 25, 30 years ago, um, it's, you know, the levels are still going to be very high if you were trying to move out. Um, so it does make perfect sense to age in place um, yeah. and, and stay where you're at if you're a senior. Yeah, I think a, a, a fewer people are going to move to these long-term care homes, I think. I think they'll just, you know, pay for a nurse to come to their, their house as opposed to, to trading down, even if, you know, I know some of them move to them for just for the social aspect, right? They want to be around people and have sure. interaction. Yeah. And, uh, and so they want that. But I think there, there might be definitely health health issues. And, and that, I think, is a, you know, the fact that seniors are, you know, this, we have this baby boom. They're living longer and they're staying in these homes. I think that's an underrated factor impacting the market. There's just the availability of single family and semi-detached homes, especially in the GTA, is, is, is just not a lot of them available because a lot of them are being taken up by people that have no plans to leave, right? You know, the baby boomers are yeah. just hitting 70. I mean, they could, they could live for 25 more years. <laughs> for <laughs> right? sure. No, for sure. Sucking, I think sucking the, up all that housing. Yeah. And the, you know, the other aspect in all of that is this whole thing of gifting or acting as a um, co-signee for a lot of the younger folks that are trying to enter the home ownership market, right? Um, we have some evidence of it uh, where we're seeing it. We've seen an increasing trend uh, of that happening. So a lot of the seniors, you know, the chances are you've held on to your home for the last 30 years. The equity in that. Um, you know, that's going to help, I think, in some, to some extent to their, their children or their grandchildren, um, if they were to help. And we haven't really looked into that aspect, but I think that's also very prevalent uh, in the GTA, particularly when you're a first-time buyer and you need somebody to help you out to enter the market. Um, yeah. And that's acting some, as a vehicle somewhat. Yeah, I can imagine some of these people bought a house for you know, 175,000 is yeah. now worth $1.8 million yeah. and fully, fully paid off. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, so, yeah. so I, I have a question on that and just sort of leading into this and I'm not sure Dan, if you have an, uh, uh, an opinion on this, but there's been a lot of, uh, I'll call them threats from different levels of government um, or I guess different political parties uh, about removing the capital gains uh, tax exemption. Have, have you, do you guys talk about that or is that something on your radar? Because in my opinion, I mean, that's a, that's a scary thing, right? I mean, one of the, the greatest four savings plans is purchasing a house, you know, building that uh, equity up in your home. But I mean, if, if you weren't, uh, if you were charged, charged a, a tax on that, I mean, that would, that would, in my opinion, drastically change the way people look at home ownership. Yeah. You know what that, anything I say is just pure speculation. And no, that's not something that we have looked at. Um, but, um, certainly I think that's something that, you know, that the fact that we don't have to pay capital gains tax on home ownership has been really a wealth creator for many people and, and often the only source. So, um, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I you know, that would be speculation in terms of what. Su- where, where, where I'll, I'll go, put you but... on the spot. Would you su- would you support it or would you be against that? Because I I'll I'll, be, I'll go on the spot. So I'd be adamantly against it. Well, I, I don't think many people would support it. How can I say that? I mean, if you're a homeowner, I can't imagine yeah. <laughs> anyone, you know, as, as an individual. But, you know, it's very different when you're an individual versus a uh, you're looking collectively um, in terms of the government, in terms of the public. And that's a whole different set of policy. But as an individual, of course, you know, it's your wealth. You've created wealth. So you don't want that to be uh, impacted. So. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll, we'll 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 shift a little bit away away from housing, and I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't cover some of these topics. Um, you know, there's been a lot of you know on top of this health crisis, some um, you know social unrest. Um, we had our uh, we had our first female guest on episode number nine, and I'm I'm sorry it took that long, but now we have back to back female guests. How has been your experience being a a, a female in the in the industry? Have you have you felt you, it, it has impacted you in, in, in any way that uh, uh, negatively or, or is there, you know, some, I would just love to get your commentary on, on, um, on the economics profession, I guess. Well, you know, I don't know if it's a negative or a positive, but, you know, generally you, in the field that I'm in, it's, it's skewed more towards, you see, you do see more. Uh, a male economist or you go to meetings and definitely there are fewer females. Um, but over time, uh, you know, I have seen that shift um, and there are more and more um, female, um, you know, economists or people who do what, what I do. Um, that is changing. I still think there's some way to go in that. Um, and I think, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not an... You know, in terms of, I don't know what the solution to that is, but I think over time it has changed, but perhaps not enough. And we ought to see more, um, you know, a better balance going forward. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, being online and seeing, I, I've definitely seen a lot more female economists lately than I ever have before. Yeah, for and, sure. and certainly very prominent voices uh, in the industry. So I think that's, that's fantastic. I, I have another question. I work, um, I believe, with a group um, that uh, that revolves around um, uh, underprivileged. Either is it is it is it for low-income families in Toronto or or students who are looking for housing or something along those lines? Is it dwell dwell Toronto or dwell students? Something like along those lines. I saw it on your uh, on your uh, on your LinkedIn. Oh, the the oh oh that was actually. Um... No, that was actually uh, York University. Um, I was speaking at an event um, that was particularly talking about student housing that was hosted, and it was called Dwell Toronto. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, I think that that's yeah, yeah. That's looking at student housing. Okay, Um, but you did mention earlier, and what I wanted to where I was going with this is that you know you mentioned that one of the goals for CMHC was housing for all by twenty thirty. Uh, at Cameron Stevens, you know, we were involved, we're involved with a lot of homeless shelters and um, organizations that provide for the less fortunate, um, you know, working on eradicating poverty, whatever that looks like. Um, do you personally have an involvement with any charities that are working on, on um, you know, reducing homelessness or finding affordable housing? 
Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, about CMHC's goal in, in providing affordable housing and, and your personal initiatives? Yeah, so in terms of, you know, what we do as a corporation, of course, um, you know, by 2030, um, you know, it's a needs-based um, housing um, so that, you know, all Canadians have a home that they need. Uh, and, and it's an audacious goal. Um, you know, it, we are approaching it in different formats. One, of course, being direct um, lending um, to programs. And we have certain, I'm not probably the best to speak in terms of the programs out, out there, but we are providing um, funding in terms of new rental um, construction. Um, we're involved in, in, in um, different aspects of that. Um, we also work closely with the provinces and the municipalities, both in terms of, um, you know, providing guidance and support. Me, as a in terms of our function, our role is really in terms of data and analysis. So it really doesn't matter whether you're looking at, um, you know, homelessness or, or whether you're looking at the market housing aspect. Our goal is just to provide uh, the best analysis of the data that there is um, and and that's also looking at in terms of directly providing um, we do set the core housing needs thresholds at CMHC so a lot of the programs that the provinces undertake are uh, based on on those levels that we uh, come up with um, and um, there are also the median rents that we put out uh, that the municipalities use in terms of assessing um, their programs and whatnot based on those ranges um, but you know we are we are, we do attend a lot of the meetings with the, the provincial government as well in terms of um, providing affordable housing. Um, so there's not one thing. There's a, a quite a bit. Uh, my for for market insights where I work, we are predominantly looking at the analysis aspect. But there are other departments within CMHC that deal directly with mm -hmm. different levels of government in the provision of affordable housing. Interesting. I guess well, I, we, we, we've, we've definitely held you held you pretty long, Steve. You have any last last questions before we, we wrap up? No, this has been great. I really appreciate uh, you doing this, Dana, and joining us this morning. And um, you know, I think this has been one of the most uh, interesting and insightful episodes we've had so far. So there's a lot of great information and oh, great and data. And and you and Ben definitely uh, talk circles around me at some points there, which I. Uh, <laughs> which I love and um, I'm excited to share this with everybody. Yeah. So if, if people want to connect with you, where do they, where do they find CMHC? Where, do, how can they connect with you? Um, they can email me directly. dsenagam at cmhc.ca. Perfect. Well, or you can reach me on LinkedIn as well. And yeah, perfect. You're not, what you're about not Twitter? Twitter? Can we find you on Twitter? Facebook. I, I, I don't have a Twitter Facebook. handle for CMHC, but I have my personal Twitter, but I'm not going to give you that one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want all the trolls, all the all Ben Myers trolls. Oh, no, no, no. Leave yeah. that up to the corporate level. No, no, no. Don't I'm, I'm, wait, I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for CMHC's TikTok page. I want to see some oh, like, forecasting 14,000 starts this quarter. <laughs> Amazing. I leave that for my daughter to do on TikTok. Now. Nice. <laughs> Well, thanks again, and uh, and uh, um, appreciate all your your insight. Great, appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Take care. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. 